Jerry, uh, you already said that you you like the draft and, and you hope to do it the same way you did, the same place you did it this year. Can you finally give us a story about drafting from the yacht? Well, uh, let me say this. Uh, uh, I don't know why. But this situation may bring out the best in me. Uh, old Moby Dick uh, out there to the right. Uh, all of those... Uh, all of those added nuances just clears your head. The only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys, indeed. The draft is over, and wow, what a draft it was, courtesy of old Sailor Jerry. As he morse-coded in the picks from an undisclosed location to amount to what could be potentially the most hyped draft of his tenure. So, welcome into About Them Cowboys here on The Athletic as we recap it all. I'm Kent Garrison, the skipper of the podcast, producing as always, and proud to welcome in the best of the best when it comes to covering all things America's team. And remember, you at home can follow along all of our NFL draft coverage across the board. We cover every single NFL team here on The Athletic, not just the Cowboys. And you can enjoy that coverage by becoming a member of our athletic community. Secure your subscription now. Good through the end of April of 2021 at theathletic.com slash about them cowboys. You get 40% off there. We're also offering a 90-day free trial. So if you just want to try us out for maybe this summer, see what we got, check that out at The Athletic as well. Our 40% off amounts to about $3 a month. So maybe put off that uh, Redbox rental for a few weeks and get on the best uh, Cowboys coverage you can get at The Athletic. That's theathletic.com slash about them cowboys and remember the prospects the pros podcast has covered this draft extensively so make sure you check that out with our homie dame brugler at the athletic as well so now time to welcome in our panel back as always he's the most knowledgeable cowboys beat writer there is i'd say he's the professor of the podcast it's father john mishota howdy john how you holding up pretty good man it's pretty uh pretty good little haul there that the cowboys had i was doing a little write-up about the uh, draft last night, and I thought to myself that 2011 was the first draft that I covered for the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and uh, so this would have been my 10th, and I can tell you none of those previous nine has the hype been this strong immediately following a draft class. Yeah, and most people will probably think of that 2016 draft class, but we've got to remember, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was probably the only pick that they felt confident in or as a fan base, you know, going in after that, you know, Jalen Smith obviously panned out for the best. And of course, Dak Prescott, Anthony Brown, other guys, but man, I I would say at the outset, this is certainly the most hype I can remember coming out of a draft and back to run the ship. Couldn't do it without him. He's my first mate. So I'd say he's the Gilligan of the podcast. It's Kevin KT Turner, KT. Man, I know you've been covering this draft all weekend, but I'm excited to you know wrap it up with you here and and get your full thoughts on what was definitely a very different draft weekend than we're used to. Yeah, it was different, and you know I, I, this is for me, and maybe you guys can can discuss this as well. I'm sitting here going, okay, I know they've already announced next year the drafts in Cleveland, and the year after that, Las Vegas. I think they should let maybe alternate years and do a quarantine style draft because. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was just the novelty of it being so different, and the fact that we haven't had live sports in a long time, uh, or the fact that I, there, there's something that you can do to keep some of the elements that made this weekend awesome. So, from a viewing standpoint, I agree. Watching the draft was more fun than maybe it's ever been. 
I agree. It was certainly wheels off in areas. But, I mean, uh, my favorite part as a fan was always watching the War Room cams, right? And yeah. when you times the War Room cams by essentially 60, when you've got to every coach and every owner and every GM out there with their own individual War Room cams, you see, like, what their houses look like. They got kids running around. You know, uh, some of them are having their dogs do the draft, you know, and Bill Belichick, which was great when he gave his dog a treat after he made a good pick. I love that. But... Man, it's just, it feels so much more like, I don't know, insightful, more personal to be like looking into these guys' homes. And I know that sounds creepy, but it, I mean, it made for great television. I'll tell you that. Oh my God, that, that Cliff Kingsbury house. What's going Insane. on over there? You know, what's funny about that is he lives in like Arizona. So that, that was only probably like a, know, a couple of million dollars, you know, if that house was in LA, if he would, if he would have gone to USC, that house would have been like $30 million. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's an amazing house. View. It was such a good view. Like there were so many great things. Obviously I know the CD lamb thing got a lot of play, but I mean, the fact that, you know, if you wanted to use your imagination, Bill Belichick morphed into a dog just for a minute, <laughs> like just little things like that are incredible. And honestly, we're talking about using cell phones for the most part here. And it's really just cell phone technology for the most part going into all these houses. I feel like you could probably expand this out and at least have top 100 to top 150 prospects, you know, have a have a setup in their house. And let's just have that on, on standby, ready to go inside their house. I know they love the party aspect and what that's going to do for certain economies. And I know everyone wants to be back in the war room and doing it like normal. But as we found out with the Cowboys draft, maybe doing it this way was not a bad way to go because uh, I'll say in my years of covering this team, John, this is by far the best draft they've ever had. And I know you should probably wait till five years to grade drafts. But just uh, from the from the landscape that we're going to talk about it, which is looking at it right now, would you agree that this is their best draft in, uh, in quite some time? Absolutely. And uh, it made me think back to like, what's the last time that they've had a draft where they have immediately come out of it and felt this good. And so on our post-draft conference call with Jerry, Stephen, and Mike McCarthy, that's what I asked Jerry and Stephen. And, and both of them said it was 2005 and that's the, yeah, the Marcus, Marcus Ware draft. Ware. Marcus Spears. And like you said though, but that it's hard to compare because they had two first round picks in that draft. Um, you know, but then even later on there, we'll get Chris Canty, Marion Barber, uh, and then in the last round, they got Jay Ratliff. And so, um, but he's like, of, of the drafts where we only had one first round pick, he couldn't think of one that he thought was better than this. And um, I think I think everything, I think they did a good job of, of sticking to their board. But I also think they got kind of lucky too. They had some guys fall that they really didn't. I mean, when Jerry's in there talking about a 1% chance that they get Trayvon Diggs, uh, you know, at 51, it's, it's hard to argue with the math because you don't know how they're figuring that in. There's a lot of different ways analytically you can break that stuff down but to just think that a guy like that would have fallen in the 51 uh i don't know that was just that that was pretty stunning and then to get uh you know throughout the draft even bradley uh, and i in, in 179 they just i don't know that was a guy going into the fourth round that everyone was talking about how this is one of the top players still available and they got him at the very last pick of the fifth round and and you know pass rusher is such a big need for them i don't I'm not saying that it's completely filled on this team. They could certainly still add a veteran and it would make a lot of sense, but to get a pass rusher like that at the end of the fifth round, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was pretty good throughout. I didn't really get the the last pick as much. Um, but other than that, you got six picks 
that really I can see competing for significant playing time and, and having a role somewhere on this team. And there just aren't a lot of drafts when I look back on them, at least a day after they're over, that you can say anything like that. You know, I think one thing that I would say about Trevon Diggs, and that's, I guess, where we'll start. Let's start with the second-round pick. Trevon Diggs on Friday night falls all the way to 51. What I would say about him and, and Christian Fulton, it was the cornerback from LSU who went at 61, guys who probably didn't need to be talked about in that 17 area, you know, to begin with. And for them to be taken at 51, you go, oh, well, they could have taken him yesterday maybe. Oh, wow. Uh, they're still available. 51, great. Yeah, I will say surprising that he was there. But, you know, he to me, it wasn't as surprising as maybe some people were making it out to be just because, you know, I don't, I, I don't think he should have been talked about until, you know, maybe early second round. Uh, so to give him the late second round. So, yeah, happy to get him. Good player, um, especially at 51. You know, there's some other options they had on the board at 54. I don't think the Cowboys liked him, but at 54, A.J. Epinesa, the defensive end from Iowa, you know, I thought he could be quite helpful. But, you know, we did know that they wanted to attack, you know, uh, the the secondary, get a cornerback in the mix. We've got a clip here from uh, Aaron Suttles. He's at the athletic writer uh, for the University of Alabama, and he's got a clip uh, talking about what Trevon Diggs could uh, bring to the Cowboys. If the name Trayvon Diggs sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you recognize the last name. Trayvon Diggs' older brother is Stephon Diggs, a wide receiver formerly of the Minnesota Vikings, now with the Buffalo Bills. So Trayvon is a NFL legacy. Uh, what he displayed at Alabama is tremendous athleticism. He was recruited to Alabama as an athlete and started off as a wide receiver. From there, he transitioned to cornerback and showed some good things there. He is still a work in progress. He's not a finished product by any means. He shows tremendous athleticism and gets by with that athleticism. I think there's a high ceiling for Trayvon Diggs because of that athleticism. He's also been a punt returner and a kick returner at Alabama, so you can get multiple positions out of him if you choose to use him that way. The reason you take a Trayvon Diggs is because his ceiling is higher. He is not a finished product, as I mentioned, and still needs some work on his technique, uh, his hips, his backpedaling, all of that. But because of his time playing offense, he's got tremendous athletic skills on the offensive end. He can high point a ball and has good balls, doesn't panic when the ball is in the air. Trayvon Diggs, It'll be interesting to see how his career turns out, but he's um, uh, certainly a tantalizing prospect who's got a ceiling higher than what he is now. He's got good balls. I mean, that wasn't a really something I was looking for in a, a potential fit, but it's good to know. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, this is where, to <laughs> me, you throw Trevon Diggs into the mix there. This is where, to me, the Anthony Brown signing, which I was a huge fan of, and I think you are too, John. That's where that was very important to me because without that, you know, without that signing, then maybe, maybe you're not feeling as safe in the first round. I still don't think you would have turned down C.D. Lamb after he fell into your lap. But like the urgency to get a cornerback was lesser so than it would have been if they didn't sign Anthony Brown in free agency. It helped you um, to go. Okay, now we can get a guy a little bit later. Um, so Trevon Dix, throw him in the mix and let's have full competition. I think we've been a little guilty of this in the Jason Garrett era sometimes of just plugging guys in and saying that's where they are. No, this needs to be open competition. Who's the better man? I don't think Jordan Lewis should be guaranteed a job. I don't think Cheeto or Anthony Brown should be guaranteed a job either. Um, and we'll get to the fourth round pick here in a little bit. But for me, happy to see that pick. It was something they needed to do. 
it would not have been like my best player on the board at the time. I, I still had Epinesa on the board, was still my, you know, best player. But you know, and I, I, I worried about edge rusher, and we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But in the end, I mean, you got to be happy with getting Trevon Diggs right there because you are betting on him, you know, kind of refining his skills a little bit. Uh, again, I think he's coming off a foot injury in 2018, which is something that I think is a little concerning, you know, but it also might explain why 2019 was, again, about just getting back on the field and things like that. So uh, happy with the pick. What, what was your uh, takeaway from how the Cowboys felt about getting Trevon Diggs at 51, John? Well, they were absolutely thrilled. They said that they considered him at 17, that he was a, a pick that, depending on what fell there, that he would have been in consideration. Now, I don't see them taking him in any chance over, obviously, CeeDee Lamb or uh, Caleb on Chase on. Um, but maybe if there was a different group there, especially with A.J. Terrell going one pick before them, if they really were dead set on getting a corner, I could see him being in the mix. How I think what is the most interesting part of all of this when you especially start mentioning the rest of the roster at the position is, you know, Mike McCarthy said last night that, you know, they, even though they didn't address safety, they feel like they are solid there with their veterans, meaning Xavier Woods and Ha Clinton Dix. And then he threw in a little note of, and we got guys that play corner that, that we think could play safety if we need them to. And of course, when you hear that, the first person you think of is, is Cheeto because he played literally every defensive back position when he was in Colorado and so when you add a guy like Trayvon Diggs, and like you said, we'll talk about Reggie Robinson in the fourth, you got you got some serious depth there now that you really didn't have going into the draft. And now all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, well, man, if, if Diggs has a good solid camp, depending on if they have a training camp, what kind of a camp it looks like, and what you know, that's still to be determined, then you got a guy that maybe gives you a chance to you know, maybe move Cheeto to play some safety. Um, so it just there's a lot more moving parts on the back end. I just even without Robinson, just with the addition of Diggs, you just you feel better about the secondary by quite a bit than you did going into the draft. Yeah, and and, and you know, I think when you when you think about the Cheeto's the name that it feels like Stephen Jones is the one who mentions that more often than much. So Cheeto can move, but you know, I, I still in the I still want to see Cheeto try to figure it out out there. I mean, it's still early in his career, and I understand that this could be his last year with the team. Uh, depending on how things play out. But I still want to see him because of the size. I still want to see him play on the outside. I, I was not surprised that this team did not take a safety. Um, I thought the ha-ha Clinton Dix signing kind of, kind of made it clear that safety was not going to be a priority for them unless something you know kind of fell into their lap. Now what we did see be a priority uh, is go back to the defensive line in round three. Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. Uh, to me – that pick right there was a perfect replacement for Malik Collins. Uh, I think he has some of the same skills that Malik Collins has. Not as strong. Um, it, he will struggle against the run a little bit, but we're talking about snap anticipation, getting off the ball, quickness, ability to beat the man in front of you and cause a little pressure on the inside. I think Neville Gallimore is an excellent pick right there, and I think uh, – I'm glad that they – it felt like they were just sticking to their boards right there and, and not drafting for need when they took uh, Neville Gallimore in the third round. What were your thoughts on that pick? I didn't know a ton about him other than the fact that I you know, I knew he was one of the bigger names in this defensive tackle class. But uh, the thing that really stood out to me is just his athleticism, You know, going back and watching some stuff that he's done. 
Uh, and then even just like, you know, his 40 time, some videos that surfaced of him uh, dunking a basketball, just standing right in the post, turning and dunking. I guess basketball was, really was his first love, and he was playing that all the time. And then football kind of came a little bit later. And so when you talk to him, uh, he just talks about how he's he's a late bloomer and how he just really thinks that he hasn't even scratched the surface yet and that just this best football that he has in him is definitely ahead of him. He doesn't think he's come close to, you know, reaching his potential. So that one, I think, makes a lot of sense. And then the fact that, you know, you pair him up with Gerald McCoy, another Oklahoma guy that he looks up to, uh, just a good guy to have in the room with him. Uh, so it, it just it seemed like a really good value at that point. Now, the Cowboys said that, he was in consideration at 51, but it's hard to believe that they would have taken him over Tra- Trayvon Diggs. But they liked him a lot. They had a second round, second round grade on him. And like you said, you know, you lose Malik Collins. Yeah, you add Don Terry Poe and, and Gerald McCoy, but, you know, you needed to add some youth there in the middle. Uh, and, I, and I'm not forgetting about Tristan Hill. You know, I mean, he'll be in the mix as well, but you needed to add another big guy in the middle there. And I, I just, it's hard to argue with, with what they did for these first three picks. With, with Gallimore, too. You're getting a really good guy. Uh, really, uh, everyone likes him. Um, you know, I don't know how much that stuff you know means, but, but but I will say this: Jordan Elliott was a defensive lineman from Missouri that I think maybe they would have considered, and he went about ten picks after Gallimore. And a lot of people had Jordan Elliott graded over Neville Gallimore, but Jordan Elliott's got some questions, you know, some character questions and things like that. Neville Gallimore has none of those. Seen as an exceptional dude, um, fun guy. And a, a guy who's going to be there to go to work and, and get after it. And I think that's, again, it, I don't know how much he's going to help you against the run in terms of just being a really good run player. But it kind of, it's, it's the whole reason you don't sign Malik Collins. Because you can kind of feel like you can maybe get that guy in the draft, you know? Uh, you know that, that, That's not the pick if you re-sign Malik Collins. You let Malik Collins go. Let Neville Gallimore come in. Third rounder, same round that Malik Collins was picked. He's going to be that up-the-field type guy, very quick twitchy. I, I, I like Neville Gallimore a lot. I had a second-round grade on him, so I thought that was a great pick. Now we go to the fourth round. Now, John, I had a second-round grade on this guy. I actually thought he might get taken in the top 105 or 100. Reggie Robinson, the cornerback from Tulsa, who was in Cleveland at the time, uh, long cornerback, 6'1", 6'2"-ish, you know, long arms. He's aggressive. Uh, I think the one thing you might say is sometimes in the middle of the round he gets a little too high and off balance. But uh, I saw him in a game go up against Tylen Wallace, who was the Oklahoma State wide receiver who tore his ACL. Tylen Wallace would have been in the draft and probably one of the top ten wide receivers picked in this draft. And there's a play where you know Reggie Robinson is going up and he just rips the ball away from Tylen Wallace on what would have been a touchdown pass. He's a guy who turns and plays the ball. I think he'll get turnovers. I think he'll get some pass knockdowns. He will play aggressive, which I think this defense is kind of shifting to a more aggressive than conservative approach. I thought at 123, to me, I know C.D. Lamb is the number one value pick of the draft out there at 17. This was my second favorite pick the Cowboys had in this draft. Reggie Robinson in the fourth round, to me, I, I was not expecting. And uh, I had a second-round grade on him. And I, I love that they've kind of remade the secondary in a way, especially when you're going to be losing bodies next year because of free agency. I like that they've added new people to kind of restart the clock on the secondary. Yeah, Dane Brugler really put this guy on my radar just from conversations I had had with Dane over the last month. And so when I was doing my mock drafts, I'd often give him to the Cowboys in like the fifth, sixth round because he was still out there. And, you know, these mock draft simulators didn't adjust to, you know, what 
whatever whatever it was was it the you know latest trends or the you know the change in in just what the way teams view these guys but i just found it very interesting that dane was all about this guy after they made the pick daniel jeremiah on espn was talking about how you know he was the number one corner that he had left uh going into that fourth round and and it just there's a lot of similarities with the digs pick and not only the size but just like their ability to to get turnovers and as you mentioned i just i just see this being a more aggressive back end of the defense and so I think with all these the, these last three picks that we're talking about, Trayvon Diggs, Neville Gallimore, and Reggie Robinson, they're all guys that I don't think that the position they're playing, you've seen anything close to their best ball. It seems like they're, they're, they're still needed to be molded there. I mean, Reggie Robinson clearly f- flew under the radar for two reasons, I feel like. One is because he went to Tulsa, and then two is just because he didn't do much his junior year, and then he just came on and, and just had a really good you know senior season. The uh, one thing I will say about him too that that intrigues me is that as we know, <laughs> special teams were awful last year, and this is a guy that he could be an immediate upgrade for your special teams. He played on all the special teams units at Tulsa. He blocked four kicks during his career at Tulsa, so maybe this is a guy that ha- helps out John Fossil there immediately if he can't get on the field right away as a corner if everyone else stays healthy. Um, but it's also important to remember at the cornerback position, you know, they signed Maurice Canada uh, as a veteran, but that's only a one year deal. Uh, Cheeto's only got one year left on his contract. Jordan's only got one year left on his contract. So you could be looking at going into next season. At least you still have. You're going to have Trayvon Diggs. You're going to have Reggie Robinson. You're going to have Anthony Brown, guys that are all under under contract beyond this season. So I thought that was important too. And then during the uh, the draft on, on 105.3 The Fan, um, they had Al Harris on for, for a brief segment, uh, just talking about these two defensive backs. Al Harris is the new assistant DB coach, the former, he's the former Packers, uh, you know, DB that I'm sure a lot of you yeah. are, are familiar with his work. And, and I just found this interesting. That's what he said. He said that on both those corners, he said really good athletes, long, the type of cornerbacks we're looking for, big bodies that can run. I'm a fan of the bigger guys. If you look at the wide receiver trends, they're not getting smaller. They're getting bigger and they're getting faster. And so, um, this isn't completely going away from, you know, this isn't just some new thing that Mike McCarthy brought in. I mean, Will McClay likes the bigger corners, too. Obviously, we, as we talked about in, in the past, Chris Richard did, too. I just feel like the biggest difference is that just it seems like they went for some really aggressive guys that, yeah, maybe they'll get burned on some plays. But I think you're going to see more plays made on the back end than we've seen over the last five years. I do, too. And I, I think this goes with a lot of things. The trends of the Mike Nolan defense uh, over the years, they're, you know, they're going to blitz. You know, things like that, where, where we've been, you know, playing with a you know, playing with a team that didn't like to blitz very, very often, to be to be honest. So, like, I think that's going to help. I think they're I think they're just going to try to have a bunch of chaos on defense, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. They're going to try to make things a little more complicated. They're not they don't want, you know, Sam Darnold to, to sit there, sit back and pick you apart. They want to make him see ghosts. And I think guys like that. One thing I'll say about. Uh, Reggie Robinson, too. I think a lot of people were maybe late to the game on him. And maybe I was early to the game on him because at the time I had just quit my job at the fan. <laughs> and so I had some time off and was really blowing through film. Film. So I, I felt like I was ahead of everyone on Reggie Robinson because I watched tape on him earlier than maybe, you know, some of the other guys did. Um, and I'm not saying that to, to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying a guy that went to Tulsa does typically get slept on. Had some big games. Oklahoma State. Played against Michigan State. My big question I had about him was how, is he, how does he play the run? Then you get to the Senior Bowl, and he comes up, and the Baylor running back Hasty is running on a play, and Reggie Robinson comes up and smacks him against the run and knocks the ball out. 
And I'm like, okay, well, he's kind of proven that's the one knock I had on him. You know, besides sometimes he plays a little high back there. But the one knock on him is I don't know if he's willing to come up and tackle. And he comes and jars a fumble and knocks the crap out of the big Baylor running back. It's like, man, this guy, he was uh, – look, you, you have all these guys. Remember, Broadus used to call them pet cats. Uh, Reggie Robinson was one of my pet cats in this draft, my meow meows. Uh, so I'm stoked that they could get him in here. Now in the fourth round, you're kind of cruising along, going, okay, we don't pick again until the fifth. And then, oh, there's a trade. Wait. So for the final pick in the fourth round, the Cowboys make the trade with the Eagles, giving up pick 164, as the Cowboys had two fifths, and giving up a next year fifth. So 2021 fifth and, and this year's fifth. And at pick 146, their second pick in the fourth round, they take Tyler Beatish. The I hope I said that right. Uh, Tyler Beatish, which is what I have in my I pronunciation. Think it's, I think it's yeah. badass. No, I think it's yeah. be, it's Beatish. I oh. mean, I just, but, hey, one of the, my favorite things, seriously, one of my favorite things out of uh, in, Dane's, in Dane's Beast is, is the pronunciations. He has them for almost everybody. And uh, yeah, he has it as B A Dish, B A Dish. Gosh, that's why you subscribe to the Athletic right there. <laughs> get that beast for free and get the B A Dish. And I've got Dane's guide pulled up, and I didn't even check it. Tyler B A Dish. Tyler B A Dish for me was a third round grade. They get him with the last pick in the fourth round. Uh, I just had a feeling the whole time they were going to take a center, didn't you? I didn't. I I, oh, I you seriously didn't. You didn't. didn't. Okay. I, I, no, I didn't because I the way that they sold the whole. Connor Williams could play center is what really interests me because I was like, now you're adding a third guy into the mix because we all knew that Joe Looney and Connor McGovern could. So like if a guy fell to them, yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been shocked or anything. I would have been shocked if they took like Cesar Ruiz in the first round, but I wouldn't have been shocked about them taking a center. But if you told me they were going to trade up uh, into the back of the fourth round to get one, I would have been a little surprised. Yeah. You know, here's what I want to th- say about Connor Williams and all that situation. I want to now – I think center does not need to be a play for him. But I think if Tyron Smith got hurt, that's where I want – I want Connor Williams, his versatility moving outward, I guess, on the offensive line. I want Connor McGovern's versatility, you know, moving inward. Connor McGovern should be the guy that can play center. Connor Williams can play tackle. He's proved he could do that in college. That's the guy I kind of want to be kind of in that mix for swing tackle, you know. Like, if something happens at guard and he doesn't win the job, or if he does win the job and Tyron got hurt, that's where I want Connor Williams going. So I'm glad they got uh, Biotish. Um and, and look, Wisconsin guy, the notes, it's amazing how much the notes I had on him sounded like a typical Wisconsin offensive lineman. Uh, not terribly athletic, but does a good job of using his angles, understanding the you know geometry of the game, creating lanes for rusher to run through could be a little bit stronger, you know, a little bit, a little bit of trouble when, you know, you're asking him to get out in space and block and things like that. But overall, just kind of a smart player who kind of understands the game. I mean, it's just that classic Wisconsin guy. Um, so I thought that was a, I thought that, I thought that was a fine pick and I, I liked what you had in your article. And by the way, guys, John's got a great article to go check out. Uh, if you're listening to this, 15 things we learned about the Cowboys during this year's draft. I liked what Jerry said uh, to to be oddish about uh, Mike McCarthy. Yeah, and and you know what's the interesting part about that to me 
especially, you know, all the times that we've talked on this podcast, KT, about how, you know, his involvement with the Packers and in their drafts and stuff like that, just not only in that call, but then just even after the way Jerry was talking about how much that Mike McCarthy wanted this guy and how he went to the bat for him. Uh, it just showed you that, that they were willing to trade up to get a guy that he specifically wanted. It, it just kind of was, it was a small example of just the impact that he had on this, on this draft. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm just the head coach, CEO type guy. You guys pick the players, whoever you think's best. And I'll just coach him. He had a say and clearly Biotish is a guy that he really wanted. I mean, a guy that won the Remington award, which goes to the best center in college football last year. You know, it's kind of crazy. I know, KT, you might have looked at some of these running backs, but I didn't spend a lot of time even looking at running backs just because of the fact that I didn't think the Cowboys would draft one. But it's just wild to just, when you look at the stats, because Biotis has been their starter at center for the last three years. So those are the three years that Jonathan Taylor has just been a monster running the ball for them. Jonathan Taylor in three years, it's so crazy. 6,000 yards, 50 rushing touchdowns. This guy's been blocking for him the entire, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's won the last two Doak Walker awards for the best running back in college football. And obviously that's what, you know, as you mentioned, that's what Wisconsin does. They run the football. And I think that he's going to be great running, you know, as, as a run blocker right off, off the bat. The things I read about him is he might be a little bit questionable as a pass blocker. And, and that kind of has to come along. Um, so, I mean, Hey, first of all, the guy watched a, a ton of tape of, uh, uh, Travis Frederick, obviously, you know, I mean, he got a chance to meet Travis Frederick. That's obviously the guy that he wants to be like. That's the guy, um, you know, that he looks up to. But at the same time, he's not going to be Travis Frederick. That's why you get him at the back end of the fourth round. And so, um, you know, Travis Frederick was going to step in right away, be a starter and be a really good starter. This guy might step in right away and be a starter, but I don't think that the bar should be the same just because he went to Wisconsin and, he, and he's taken over for this guy. So, you know, yeah. I just think that what it does is it kind of, in a way, it, it just it helps the entire offensive line because now all of a sudden you're not trying to, you know, you can move, you can let Connor McGovern and, and Connor Williams focus on left guard or like you mentioned with Williams possibly as the swing tackle and things like that. And I have to throw center on their plate too. You can leave that up to Joe Looney and, and to Biotish. So I just, I, I really thought that that was interesting the way they did that. Another thing real quick I wanted to point out about this pick is, you know, one of the big reasons why they were willing to trade up, and it's funny as it is that they trade with the Eagles because that just seems always kind of weird. But um, yeah, it's strange. The, the reason they did is because they have all these compensatory picks next year. And so uh, the Cowboys believe that they will have four compensatory picks in next year's draft. And so, you know, that's to make up for the losses of guys like Robert Quinn and and Byron Jones and Randall Cobb, Malik Collins. Like, so. That's why you they were willing to part with the next year's fifth to move up and, and make this happen because they feel like they're going to be pretty loaded in the middle of next year's draft. Yeah, and another thing I would say is you ended up, and if we all can kind of consider this a win-now uh, type of window here, you end up getting two-fourths in this year's draft. Now you gave away, again, a fifth, and then you gave away a fifth next year. But in the end, when you look at it, you know, you, you, you're picking at a higher spot and – you hope that it pays off to get two fourths out of it. You know, I, I kind of lump in that other fourth just to kind of make it sound better. Hey, we got two fourths, even though it cost us two fifths. And we only got that one fourth in terms of the trade. You know what I'm saying is very confusing. Let's just move on to the fifth round. Uh, final pick in the fifth round, Bradley Anai. Uh, he was number 89 overall on Dane's top 100. I had a third round grade on Bradley Anai to get him late in the fifth round. Incredible. I think he fell because look, he does have some he does have some athletic questions. I mean, he is not the most athletic guy. Here's my notes on him. My notes on him were that he does a really good job of anticipating the snap, getting a jump off the ball. 
and, and that kind of compensates his lack of juice off the edge. He knows how to get to the quarterback, does a great job of using his hands, uh, very strong hands, can push offensive tackles around, but he's not the longest guy, not the most burst, not the most bend, but he's kind of that relentless motor, go get it, knows how to kind of have counter moves and things like that. Like He's got multiple ways to win, but despite not being a guy who's going to test well, the production speaks for itself at Utah, which Utah just cranks out off uh, defensive prospects like it's nothing. 40 tackles for a loss and 30 sacks over the last three seasons at Utah. This is a productive guy. Had a good senior bowl as well. To get him at the last pick in the fifth round, to me, was a very good win for the Cowboys because they needed defensive end help. Yeah, that's that's a name that it seemed like for about a round and a half there, everybody was talking about, man, if you need an edge rusher, why aren't you going to get this guy? Why aren't you going to get this guy? And so then you talk to him after the Cowboys pick, and he really focused in on that 40 time. Uh, the 40 time he put up at the combine was about, uh, I don't know, three-tenths of a second, maybe four-tenths of a second slower than what he feels like he normally runs. And he feels like that that was one thing that really held him back because, you know, they factor that in. They factor in speed and things like that, especially when you want an elite edge rusher earlier in the draft. But as KT mentioned, that production was just so good. And as Mike McCarthy was was saying that, you know, he said he probably watched more more Utah defensive football over the last three months than he hasn't during his entire coaching career just because Utah had so many prospects defensive prospects in this draft and and every time he watched him this guy kept you know jumping off the tape and so it's a guy that you know if you were watching the draft and you didn't study at all about any of these players you didn't really know much and you were just watching the draft on espn you knew who this guy was because he was constantly being a name mentioned for any team that was looking for an edge rusher because he was just the best available for it seemed like for almost two rounds and so uh you know if he if he came in and did absolutely nothing. I don't see anybody criticizing this pick because it just seemed like great value at the time. No, it, it absolutely was. And and I think that that's something, too. I, I think he's the type of guy that makes the roster. I think he's the type of guy who puts – you know, they're going to have some decisions to make on their defensive front. Not everyone's going to be able to make the team. But you got a regime now that's not tied to Tristan Hill. So if Tristan Hill's not ready to go whenever camp starts, which that's up in the air – but, you know, guys like Tristan Hill, they're not going to have a problem cutting the court on Tristan Hill. If he ain't ready to go and he's not, not set, you know, I think guys like Bradley and I, and again, f- he gets plus marks for football character and all that stuff as well. Everyone raves about that. So there's a lot to like about that pick. Last pick in the fifth round, and you're, you're scoring something like that, you know, nice. <laughs> you're doing a good job. And it just kind of, to me, the draft couldn't have gone any better than it did. Now we get to round seven. I had nothing on this guy, got to admit. <laughs> ben DiNucci, your quarterback from James Madison. Ben DiNucci, the quarterback to the Cowboys in round seven. What did you find out about him, John? On the conference call, you know, and it was only maybe about five or six minutes, but he definitely seemed like he had a little bit of swagger to him. Like, he's, he's pretty confident in his abilities. Uh, he's a guy that, I mean, wins from the pocket, but isn't afraid to get outside the pocket and, and kind of make plays that way. I'd say the most in- interesting thing uh, about him is, is in terms of the Cowboys is just the fact that, well, one, he, he's originally a Pittsburgh kid. So his eighth grade basketball coach was actually Mike McCarthy's brother. So uh, there, <laughs> there's some ties in there. So Mike McCarthy already knew him. And then, you know, James Madison's got a pretty good program. And, and uh, they were in Frisco for that. Uh, in, it was the FCS championship game. 
And so they were staying over at the star. And so he ran into Mike McCarthy there and they kind of uh, talked a little bit and and Mike knew who he was. And so he was kind of surprised by that, um, that he was already on his radar. But uh, this is a guy that this is why it came down to them drafting him in the seventh is because he was getting calls from the Cowboys, the Bears and the Browns. And so, you know, it could have come down to who offered him the most money. It could have come down to whoever was going to give him the most playing time. But regardless, the Cowboys were at this point like, hey, it's the middle of the seventh round. It's our last pick. Let's not leave this up to chance. Let's let's lock this guy up. And and that's what they did. They didn't want to try and, you know, let it go into into undrafted free agency and, and possibly get in a bidding war for this guy. As I think a lot of you have probably heard that's kind of what happened with Tony Romo. Uh, you know, it came down to, you know, the the Broncos and, and, and the, the Cowboys kind of bidding back and forth to see you get Romo and, and, and the Cowboys won out. And so there is a little bit of uncertainty there, especially when a guy has several teams that are they're bidding for his services. So that's why it came down. So, I mean... It, you know, this is a guy that's going to compete with Cooper Rush for the backup job. And um, I'd say the most interesting thing Mark, Mike McCarthy said about him is that he said he, he compares him to, he reminds him a little bit of a young Mark Bulger. And so if he's anywhere near Mark Bulger, mm. who played in the league for almost a decade and made the Pro Bowl a couple times and, you know, had some good years with the Rams, if he's anywhere close to that, I, I think they did pretty well. Mark Bulger was a sixth round pick and I think it was the twenty. I don't want to say because a 2000 draft. Sorry, that's what it is. Yeah, sixth, sixth round pick. So uh, if he's anywhere close to that, it's a pretty good pick. Um, I will ask you this, though, real quick, KT. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to put you on the spot here, but uh, no, you're fine. At that, at that point, <laughs> at that point, I was going to say, is there anybody that you significantly wanted more than him? Or was there another quarterback you liked or just kind of what were you thinking in the seventh? Because I really didn't care either way. <laughs> I, well, I had a feeling they were going to go quarterback, so I kind of resigned that. But the, the two names that went after him that I liked um, was Dane Jackson, the cornerback from Pittsburgh, uh, who you probably remember from the Senior Bowl. He went a few picks after. And then uh, Jonathan Garvin was an edge rusher from Miami, who I think has some upside. The Packers ended up taking him at 242, about, you know, probably about 10 picks after they, they went, uh, after, after the Cowboys went with him. So that's kind of where I had in my head. I also had a, a grade on a safety that went, uh, Brian Cole, the Mississippi State safety, and I had a grade on him. I mean, Ben DiNucci was a guy I'd never heard of. I still had some guys on my board who had graded, you know, had grades on at least who were on my board. So that's what I, you know, but this was seventh round, as you just mentioned, the seventh round is four is getting ahead of PFA, you know, getting ahead of the chaos. And, you know, on that note, thought they did a pretty good job of cleaning house there. Um, now, again, these guys, a lot of these guys, you know, don't make the roster, but let's kind of talk about some of the names that the Cowboys got in undrafted free agency. Um, the, the number one guy, and I don't, did, did it get finalized? He, he's not on your list here. There was a guy I saw, the, the Francis Bernard from uh, Utah. Did you happen yeah, to see now, anything on him? Well, I just I, – what I did on, on that particular – article is i only put in guys there was like three or four other names that i had seen but because there's been some guys that back out on these things the only 11 names i ended up putting in there were the 11 that i found that either the player or the uh university that he played for put out an official uh thing on their twitter account saying that that player had signed with the cowboys or picked the cowboys or whatever and so I wanted to only go with official ones, but there's definitely more than that. Like there's, a, I have 11 on that list, but there's probably, I mean, I don't know, 14, 15 out there that that they're probably going to add. Um, one quick note on that: Stephen Jones said that once the draft was over, they still had 11 players 
that were available that were on their board. And he wouldn't say who they were, but he said seven of them they were able to to add in, in uh, these undrafted guys. And so I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about this group. I, I think KT probably has a little better feel for some of these guys. Um, but I'll, I'll just say this. The Cowboys have been one of the best teams in the NFL for a long time in undrafted rookie free agency. And so for one of these guys to make the roster, uh, I don't think anybody should be completely stunned. I think I think they got a pretty solid roster as it is, but you just never know. And they always seem to find a diamond in the rough at, at this portion. And I think one of the big things that helps them is that if it's close between the Cowboys and another team, I'm sure a lot of a lot of guys would want to give their shot to possibly playing for the Cowboys. And, and, and that obviously doesn't hurt them. And yeah, and I think your article is great. You got most of them. I think there's a a couple that I think we should mention. I'll start with the, the highest graded guy that I had was Courtney Davis, wide receiver from AM, but he backed out. As you said, he backed out and went to the Vikings. I mean, you know what? If I'm Courtney Davis, yeah. Uh, I would also maybe look at go, oh yeah, they have CD Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup. Yeah, maybe I'll go to Minnesota. <laughs> like Maybe I'm not going to get much of a chance to play. You know what's kind of funny about that, though? I thought that exact same thing last year when, uh, who did they sign? When they signed Mitch Hyatt. I was like, you didn't, you don't want to go somewhere else to play tackle? Like, like he was a guy a lot of people thought could possibly be drafted. He was a, you know, a starter for for Clemson for, I think, four years and then a captain and then the sign to play with a team that already has Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. Again, like the Cowboys do pretty well in this portion. Yeah, and I, I think they, they came up I'm going to give you a couple names that, that were on my board, at least to like draftable grades. The big one to me is Utah a linebacker Francis Bernard. And again, uh, talking about those Utah guys. Now, he's an older guy. Francis Bernard, this might be, may have a couple character questions, uh, but Francis Bernard is a guy who's going to be, you know, 24, 25 years old, I believe. Good tackler, you're linebacker. Like, you're like he's going to be 37. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, he's about 43 years old, but hey, they got some good value on him. Let me let me tell you though, because I have some good notes on him. Okay, um, for, on the field, um, you know, good tackler. I think he can cover. I think he can run a little bit. Okay, cover tackle, help on special teams. Those guys are valuable at some point. He started his career at BYU. Here's my notes verbatim. Cops were called to his apartment a second time in, in one night because of a noise complaint. The cops were cool the first time. They just asked him to turn the music off, but they came back, and then he had an exchange with the cops begging for them to not write him a ticket. While all that's going on, the manager of the apartment complex is videoing the exchange, and I will tell you that that video is on YouTube. Bernard saw him videoing the exchange, and then he threatened to choke him out until he can't breathe anymore. <laughs> then he got a DUI the next year. But then he got out of Provo, where you have cabin fever all the time, and they don't let you drink Coke. And he headed off to Utah. So, it, we'll see. You know, Francis Bernard, though, that's my highest rated guys, the guys they got. The UNT Edge guy, Ladarius Hamilton. He can play a little bit. The Michigan tight end, Sean McKeon. You need a blocking tight end? Hey, Dalton Schultz, I got a little fire for you right here. You don't become a better blocker. Well, Sean McKeon's a good blocker. So that's interesting. Texas Tech offensive tackle Terrence Steele. You know, senior bowl guy. Had a seventh-round grade on him, but another kind of Mitch Hyatt-type body, you know, like to, to throw in there. You know, a guy I like, Portland State tight end Charlie Tomopea. 
This is my guy, dude. Charlie. Charlie T from Portland State. I'm pulling up my notes. That's what I'm just you're like, You're like, he's a 37-year-old car mechanic. Uh, Tumopea. There's a quick notes in here. Three years of solid production at Portland State. By the way, who plays better teams than people think? Portland State's turned into a nifty little program. Uh, he had a crappy quarterback in college, so it was sometimes a struggle, but he's a big target underneath, has the ability to run up the seams, stretch the defense a little bit, ran a 4.75 at the combine, which is not great. But to me, I thought him, I saw him as a guy who could kind of be a get-in-the-way blocker, a day-three type of guy, give you a little something over the middle. Good hands, throw it to him, he catches it. I like Charlie Tomo Paya, so I saw the Cowboys got him. I was a big fan of that. Uh, I know Rondell Carter uh, is an edge from from James Madison uh, that that got quite a bit of money to to come play for the, for the Cowboys. Dane had a seventh round grade on him. Um, I didn't really have anything on him, but I thought the Cowboys did pretty good. I mean, when there's five, six, seven names that you recognize, uh, the TCU running back Sewo, um, the you know, like you get five or six, seven names up there that you know, or at least are are recognizable that I kind of view that as they did a great job in in a free agency after the draft. Yeah, the uh the one kid there, the Carter kid that you said, I thought it was interesting, the kid from James Madison, just because if you're looking for production, he's a guy that had twelve sacks last year. I know it's James Madison, but they are James Madison is like kind of the North Dakota State, you know, when with Carson Wentz and stuff like that. Like they just those are two of the better teams in that in that division, and so, uh, you know, they usually win a lot of football games, and he was their best defensive player, so I found that kind of interesting, as you mentioned. He was a guy that they gave a decent amount of money to, and so, uh, yeah, we'll see about him. Um, it, it sounds like he's, he's one of those 11 guys that were on their board they were able to get, and so uh, I'm intrigued by, by him for sure just because with this draft being over, um, you know, and then the first round of free agency being over, I look, at, I look and I'm trying to find, you know, where's still the biggest holes in this roster – and I still look at defensive end. And so if you got a guy that maybe, you know, turns some heads and that's an undrafted guy, maybe he finds a way to, to make the team. But uh, um, I was wondering, uh, KT, what do you think about DN? Do you think that that they're set with this group? you think you can count on Alden Smith? Or do you think that they need to uh, possibly still look at somebody in free agency? And the reason I'm asking you this is because now that the draft is over, if you sign a guy in free agency, it, it the compensatory pick is not involved and, and it has no bearing on it now. Um, and so, you know, there's some, there's some, obviously Jay Devian and Clowney's out there. Janiel Hunter's out there. There's some guys, um, or are you cool with what they got right now? Well, no, I, I think, I think if you can, you need to add. I'm sorry, not to Neil Hunter. I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize. Everson Griffin, not to Neil Hunter. Everson Griffin. Yeah. No, I, no, I did the same thing. I, I color <laughs> associate teams. Oh, like he played on the purple team. So yeah, <laughs> right. that, that, that's how I kind of always get. Seems like did he? He went to Stanford or Utah? Or, the purple uh, team with uh, the horns on the helmet. One of the red teams. Yeah. Um, there's just so many players; it's hard to keep up. Um, what I do think here, and I have dangled this out there on Twitter over the weekend, got decent response. Was look, I I, I do think a lot of it depends on how normal this season's going to be. Well, when you talk about contracts for Clowney and, and Everson Griffin, but I do think with what we're seeing, the potential of playing games with no fans, I, I think the, the NFL is going to be pretty ahead of what they're what they're doing in terms of the money. You know, I think the economy of the league is going to change a little bit, and I don't think some team is going to rush out there and try to lock up Jadavion Clowney five years for a hundred million dollars. Obviously, you're already kind of seeing that now, but you know, to me. 
what's the best way for Jadavion Clowney to remake the money that he might lose in free agency? To sign a one-year deal with a good team. Uh, and maybe San Francisco makes a little more sense for Jadavion Clowney. But if I'm the Cowboys, I'm calling Jadavion Clowney and saying, would you like to come play here one year at $15 million? Maybe you wait till the schedule comes out. Maybe you wait and see how this pandemic plays out. But and you also, he's there and he's an incredible talent who would change the defense quite a bit. I mean, he, he takes you to a new level personally on defense. I just saw what he did for Seattle last year. I would call Jadavion Clowney up and I would ask, I would try to get in the mix. But he may not like the tone of one year, but – if he's amenable to signing a one-year deal, I think that's a that's a call you got to make because that changes things. You cannot count on a Alden Smith or b Randy Gregory. I mean, and I'm we can wipe out the off the field stuff. These guys just haven't played, you know. Like leave the off field stuff away out of, of that conversation. You got to count on guys who haven't been in the league for years. That's a rough thing to do. So I'm a big fan of calling Judavion Clowney up and, and just giving him a. Not a bad offer, just a, a, a short-term offer. We can ha- make it incentive, you know, heavy, things like that. Maybe you do have to guarantee him a certain amount to get him here, but I, I think that changes a lot about this defense. I already think the Cowboys are the favorite in the division, and I think the 49ers are the favorite in the conference, but I think you get a, you get quite a bit closer to, to San Francisco if you're able to get Clowney in here. Now, I hope I'm not overrating the team already, but – I'm so excited about the draft, what you did to the offense. I always thought they were going to get a natural upgrade by just having a new message from McCarthy. Uh, it feels like they've got a chance to be a top three team in the conference. I think Jadavion Clowney would be a huge lift. Do you think Jadavion Clowney would make a, a bigger immediate impact or Jamal Adams? I think Jadavion Clowney would. And no, I, I agree. like Jamal I agree. Adams. I agree with you, too. Like, over a long period of time, sure, I'd rather have Jamal Adams. But if we're talking just one year with the way this current ro- roster is structured, yeah, give me that D end. And, and you know what? It's a guy who can play inside, too. You know, you can kind of move him around. And I think you'll see that. You know what we didn't see over the years? You know, maybe DeMarcus Lawrence doesn't move around, but we didn't see a lot of moving around besides Tyrone Crawford, who moves around all the time. But now... If uh, if you're so let's say you're playing Seattle and in Seattle is uh, their centers their weak link, well now you're going to have to deal with Jadavion Clowney rushing. You know I think I think they would choose to move him around a little bit with Mike Nolan. You know I, I think they were they're going to create mismatches on defense instead of just playing their style. You know I think that changes things um, and maybe it gets you beat. Maybe you give up more big plays than you have over the years. But I think that's a trade off a lot of us are willing to take if it means. If it means something different, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think sure. Cowboys fans just want to do something different. I just wanted to bring it up just because, I mean, Steven was like, absolutely, we're still going to be looking at some of these guys that are free agents, these veteran guys. And so I, I just, I don't remember him being so adamant when asked that question after previous draft, especially considering the haul that they just brought in with this draft class. And so when I look at the roster, I'm thinking, okay, where do you need a veteran that could help? And I, I really don't think you need one on offense. Um you know, I think that they're pretty set there. And so I look at that defense side of the ball and I'm just like, yeah, you got Tyrone Crawford there. You got, you know, Dorrance Armstrong and, and Joe Jackson. And, and, you know, you add a guy in, in, in Bradley and I. And uh, so you got some bodies there. And then maybe if you get something out of Randy Gregory or, or Alden Smith and hey, you know, like I always said, it's icing on the cake. But still, if you're going to add a veteran somewhere, that seems like that would be the spot. I mean, it's worth it's worth checking in on for sure and Everson Griffin too like 
you know, really anyone that's got has a a past of production in the NFL as an edge rusher, I, I'm I'm willing to listen. It it ain't like we're stacked here, you know. It, it ain't like Tyrone Crawford's a spring chicken. I mean, I think we're rolling the dice on him being healthy next year. Just giving guys coming off hip surgeries can be a problem. Um, so I think there's a lot. Also, I'm just saying too online. It's not signed and official, but an agreement that Darius Anderson, the TCU running back, uh, has agreed. To you know, come to the Cowboys, but again, not signed, not official. Does Marcus um, Golden do was, anything for you? Marcus Golden does absolutely bring him in. I mean, it was the Giants' best pass rusher last year. I, I just you know, and he and he's cheaper. Obviously, there's the price point on these guys is clowny way up there, and then you know, Everson Griffin down quite a bit more, and then Marcus Golden. But well, if, I guess I would say this. What's stopping you from going out and spending a little more money? I mean, the DAC contract? No, not really, right? Uh, the DAC contract that I'm sure will get done soon, but like, I, I really think this is the time when you should go. You should go make a play here because whether whether you expected CD Lamb or not, I think after the excitement of CD Lamb following there might make you reevaluate how you feel about the offense. You know, getting Trevon Diggs, getting a good draft class before they even touch the field might make you go, you know what, maybe we should push. And I think they will. It was, the team that signed Greg Hardy is not going to, like, not call Jadavion Clowney. They'll be in the mix. I just, <laughs> like, I just, you know, I think there's a lot going on with his medicals as well. Hey, hey real quick, thinking of you saying that. Let me bring up another question since I'm asking you 100 questions a day. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking the other day, you think any other team signs Alden Smith? Do you think they had competition no. for him? No. <laughs> that's, what, that's what made me think of what Not you said. Not at all. That. No, just us. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and look, the thing is, too, is he a defensive end now? I mean, all the reports that he's 290 pounds. Like, it sounds yeah, like you're yeah, getting him geared big. up to be an inside guy. <laughs> like, I don't know what he is. Is he a D tackle uh, in a 3-4? Or, sorry, a D end in a 3-4? Yeah, Maybe. It's just crazy because he was an outside linebacker in a 3-4 for all those years, too, you know? he do a little bit of everything. And the whole thing is, like, I can't even say he's going to make the team. Like, you're going to have to show me this guy on a football field first. And that's there's a reason he's got zero guaranteed money, you know, until he makes the team. Like, he's got to make the team first. Uh, and Randy Gregory, dude, who's to say that Randy Gregory gets reinstated? Just because the rules loosened up doesn't mean he's going to do all the things right on his end, you know? And, you know, I think he will, and I think he will file for reinstatement, but they're closer on Alden Smith than they are on Randy returning to the team. So it's just that's one of those things you were forced to look at the roster through a lens of, man, I hope Alden Smith and Randy Gregory are here. I'd like to not feel that way. And Bradley and I helps that, and Tyrone Crawford helps that, and we'll see what Dorrance Armstrong can continue to, to improve a little bit and all, all that type of stuff, but. That, there's your weak link on the team. I know everyone likes to talk about safety. Your weak link on the team right now is defensive end outside of Demarcus Lawrence. But, God, got to be happy with that draft, man. They killed it. They, they did an absolute great job. One of the top drafts in, this cl- in the class for sure. You, you just look at the value for where they got these guys were selected. And, you know, maybe there is a changing of the guard there, KT, in terms of following the board extensively throughout this draft that – Almost every guy they took, uh, you know, with the exception of CeeDee Lamb, was rated higher on their board than they took them, you know? 
And I, I think that's, uh, that says a lot about, you know, I take the best players you can and then we'll coach them up, you know, and not reaching for positions or all that, you know, I mean, the fact that they need a, a starting center and they took one in the what fifth round, fourth round, uh, they traded up from the fifth, uh, says a lot too. I mean, this guy could be their center for the next five, 10 years if he ends up starting, you know? So, I mean, that's tremendous value across the board. And I, I undrafted guy you didn't um, mention was the receiver from AM, and uh, Kendrick Rogers, KT. Yeah. Um, you know, I say this cause I am an A&M fan, but he had some freakish, athletic ability um, can really go up and get the football. And, you know, he's, he's a typical guy that, that could be like a camp uh, darling. You know, there's always a receiver at camp every year that everyone's like, well, who's this guy? You know, could he, <laughs> could he make the team? And it never happens. But so just count on Kendrick Rogers being the guy this year for, uh, for that. He, he signed with, with the Cowboys. And I wonder if him and Courtney Davis both would have come to the Cowboys had, Courtney Davis not backed out. We've had the both both of A&M's best best receiving options with a, a quarterback at A&M who's not very good at all. So interested to see what those guys can do and if if uh, maybe he could push for a roster spot. But that it, stuck out to me. It's so funny to hear you say that they could have a starter on the offensive line that they got in the end of the fourth round because we don't know how that that works around here. Because if you don't get this guy in the first round, early <laughs> seconds at the very worst, or you can't start on this offensive line. So. Yeah. You know, if they get a fourth rounder, that ends up starting for that man. Ha. That's going to be strange. I'm not even going to be used yeah. to that one. Yeah, man. It, it, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how that plays out. I never would have thought on the offensive line we'd have like question marks about who plays where, but this could, this could be the year. I also wanted to mention, KT, the, the mock drafts that, that we did in a couple episodes ago. I think Saad was the winner because he had both Trevon Diggs and Reggie Robinson on his. Mock draft? I have them written down here, right in front of there me. There you go. Yeah. So John went Jerry, Judy, Trevon Diggs, which, you know, Judy went 15. So I'll give you a check mark for Trevon Diggs. Uh, Jonathan Grenard, then Reggie Robinson right there in the fourth. Oh, there you so go, there's John. two. Um, Harrison Bryant, Travis Gibson, Jordan Four. So two of seven right there for John. Uh, let's go to Sod. Sod had Chase on. He had Trevon Diggs. So there's one. Terrell Burgess, Devin DeVerde, Julian Blackman, Tanner Muse, A.J. Green. So Saad gets one. So I thought John's uh, the leader. I knew somebody had Reggie Robinson. I guess I forgot it was John. Sorry, I give John. all the credit to Dane, man. We had a we had a phone conversation about, I don't know, a week and a half ago, and he was just talking about how, man, this Reggie Robinson kid has just really come on this past year, and a lot of people are sleeping on him. And, uh, you know, this could be a guy that, you know, could be a really good bargain for a team. But – I was asking Dane about him more as if like if the way the draft fell out that the Cowboys didn't get a corner in like the first, you know, two or three rounds or whatever. And they were looking for kind of a bargain bin guy later on. And uh, the fact that they got him and Trayvon Diggs, uh, uh, they did a good job uh, filling in for the loss of uh, Byron Jones, especially when you look at uh, what the cost of keeping Byron Jones would be versus the cost of these two players. Kent, you had Trayvon Diggs in the first round. So you yeah, that's the only one I had. Yeah. Melissa Chenault, Jonathan Grenard, Brandon Jones, Justin Sternad, Benito Jones, Antonio Gandy-Gilden. I had A.J. Terrell, Curtis Weaver, who, who was on the board multiple times, uh, Logan Wilson. But yeah, I didn't do a very good job either. John, your winner of the mock draft challenge with two. It's not easy <laughs> but, to do, man. It's no, not it's easy not to nail two. I mean, in Getting a, two is a out of 300 victory. players to choose from to get two right is 
pretty impressive. Uh, anything else we need to clean house on or uh, check in on? What do we, we we talked about CD Lamb? If you if you missed that one, that podcast is already up, so you can check that. It's a separate podcast, forty five minutes on night one of the NFL draft that we did uh, the Friday morning. Yeah, just a little. A little more, I guess, to wrap up the draft. Just uh, I wanted your your guys' thoughts on Roger Goodell during this because <laughs> that was like, like, could he be any more, any less emotionless? Like any less? I mean, it's like Jason Garrett levels of of um, roboticism coming from him, you know. And I mean, this guy, how many names does he butcher? You know, per year, we should do a, a tally every year of how many names he he incorrectly. And he obviously doesn't have Dane's phonetic draft guide because i mean these guys work their entire lives to make the nfl and he's like you're sir gross matos you know it's like dude just <laughs> you have one job literally it's to name names <laughs> you know and he couldn't give, even do I'll that give him props i'll give him props for one thing i i really think that that it was cool that they did the thing before uh uh the cowboys second round pick where they uh uh you know, Roger said a, a little like giving his condolences to Dak Prescott for his brother passing away. And then they kind of went out of that uh, segment into a commercial break with kind of a, you know, with a picture of Jace Prescott, um, you know, when he was playing football, I believe in high school. And so uh, I thought they, that was well done. I thought that they handled that pretty well. And overall, I thought they did a great job with the draft the way it was. But uh, yeah, the idea of him in his. Let's uh, hear it, fans. Ken, yeah, I need to hear you scream. That could We're have done going without that. to name this pick now. Could have done without that. Didn't really. I wasn't really into the whole like <laughs> sitting in the recliner or whatever and making picks from there. But hey, I, I get it. You know, uh, there's the only so much you can was, do. The best part was Friday night, where as he just get, it continued to get kind of late in the night, and every time he would come back and walk into this to the room, he was a little bit more red. You know, he was getting tired, and then he took back and he was sitting in that chair, and then he started leaning back in the chair. I mean, this this guy. We were we were watching live footage of a guy's phone battery go to zero. He might, his life phone battery. This guy gets paid forty million dollars a year, and he can't handle sitting there for three hours and 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 literally reading names off a card without looking like he's about to die. Like I didn't think he was going to make it Friday like, night. Work it's, work a little, a day in your life, Roger. Come on, hey, man. It, it, it's a tough job, and I'm willing <laughs> to take it on next year if he wants me to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a tough job that literally anyone would take if they had the opportunity. But man, that stuck out to me. This Roger Goodell, like way too much Roger Goodell for the thing. You know, usually by day two, they've got former players doing the picks and celebrities and fans and all that. So you kind of mix it up, but. When you've got him doing every single one, essentially, or Luke Bryan or <laughs> doing one, uh, you know, yeah. how would you like to be drafted and Luke Bryan to sing your draft pick? <laughs> yeah, I don't need the I don't need the music stuff during the draft. <laughs> like, I mean, I know by round five they'd kind of given up, and I understand you don't you don't have everything on prospects. I I, I get it, right? But you know, people are going to watch it either way, so. Like to me, I don't need to go to five away five minutes to Luke Bryan. But overall, I thought it was great seeing all the the things. That, um, did y'all see the Jacob Eason clip? So they're in his so. house and it's showing. This is on Friday night and they're in his house, obviously, and he hasn't been drafted yet. And a guy, it might have been him, comes out of the comes out of the bedroom, shirt off. And he throws his shirt on real quick, and then about ten steps behind him. 
here comes the girlfriend out of the out of the room too. It's like, what were they doing in there? Sorry if you have I to add that out, I, Kent. I, I miss that. Oh, I'm going to send it to you. Uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, it's like, okay, you guys got caught. Uh, so many bits. I loved uh, all the memes. You know, obviously the CD Lamb thing, the Isaiah Wilson thing, um, the Packers head coach's son holding his hands up like, "Hey, I didn't draft these players." That was pretty good. Um, the the Billichick dog thing. I know we've already talked about that. God, it was just to me. It was sketchy. To me, I didn't agree with them doing the draft this week. I thought they should have pushed it back a month. And it was pretty flawless overall. They they nailed it, man. So I, I give uh, the league respect for getting it done because I didn't think it could be done. And you know what? It may be better for the Cowboys to draft this way without coaches voicing their opinion so much, you know, in a crowded war room. And, uh, you know, it seemed like they just stuck to the board and did what they had to do right there. Absolutely. Lindsey Jones wrote a piece for the athletic of 15 things that they can take from this year and, and bring into the future drafts just worth your, your time. And it talks about, you know, what you said at the outset of, uh, of, I think there are things to, to take away positives to take away that you can incorporate into the, the regular draft. And, you know, I guess we can end on kind of where we started. I mean, how awesome of a flex was it for Jerry to be on that yacht? I cannot get over <laughs> It could have been a lot better, though. It's like, it's like, why? (laughs) Right, but, but I, I think it can be so much better. Like, go out on the deck or something like that. Like, really show the thing off. Like, he was trying to hide about it. Like, even on the very last day, yes, last night on on the conference call, like, he was even kind of hesitant about, like, really getting into that talking about it there. I'm just like, you have this huge boat. It's really cool. Like, just have the camera go outside. Like, if he's like was walking around on the deck or something like that. But I don't know. He clearly didn't want that to be part of it. But obviously, everyone figured out that's where he was at. But for Jerry, knowing Jerry and being around him for about ten years now, I was just really surprised he didn't play that up more. Uh, it seemed like he was being a lot more reserved. And I'll tell you what. Like on one of these conference calls, when he was asked about the coronavirus and getting back to playing football, like he was literally choking back tears talking about thinking like, about how much money he's going to lose if they don't play. No, uh, <laughs> I'm just I, kidding. I know it was geez. bad. Forget it. I'm done. Well, well <laughs> I know what you were going to say. Yeah. You ruined the moment. Ken. No, I know. <laughs> it was a heart, it was a heartfelt moment I'm moment so- from from Jerry Jones. Go ahead, no. I don't know. I can't remember where I was going with it, but I was just going to say, like, it was just kind of surprising to see him get that choked up because uh, over something like that. But with that being said, I'll just tie into what you said. By no means do I believe that they're not going to have a seat. They are going to play football. Now, there might not be fans in the stands, but I, I just, you get the really strong feeling they're going to do everything in their power. Like, training camp, probably not going to be out in California, but they're going to have something and then they're going to have games. So I think this having this draft and not delaying it at all, I think was a good example of that. And how much of a success it was with the viewers. Um, I find it hard to believe that they think anything about this was went badly. I think that they think, I mean, Jerry said it's one of the NFL's finest moments. And because of that, I find it hard to believe that they're going to be delaying any season. If, if, if any team, if there's only one sports league is going to try and play uh, while this pandemic is going on, it will be the NFL. They will give it some type of an attempt. Okay. Here, and here's my prediction then. If that's your bold prediction, here's my bold prediction. My bold prediction is they go to training camp and someone gets it without knowing it and their droplets go to another player and then you get a couple cases of the coronavirus and they have to shut it down just like the NBA when one guy got it. 
I just think we're in a world where touching other people is a bad thing to do. And it's hard for me to believe that in four months, touching people at training camp is going to be like everything's going to be different without a vaccine. Yeah. The only th- makes me- thing they can do, I guess, would be quarantine all these players now, test them now, and you know, keep them in hotels like they do for games and have curfews and and keep them isolated until the season. You know, that's the only way to make sure nobody gets it. And then if nobody has it, I mean, it, you can't give it to somebody if you don't have it, right? So, I well, mean, yeah, if, if guys you don't know if you have it. Yeah, and if, guy, if guys get it and then they're getting healthy and it's not having a major impact on them, you know, I, I don't know, that, that'll have one effect on it. But obviously the worst thing that could happen for anyone is if someone gets significantly ill and, or even you have a death, then how can you sit there and go back and play football or play any sport if in any sport anybody has a death or a loss of a life? I don't think you can go back to playing a sport, any of them. You know, I, I think it's going to have an effect on, on all of them. Whoever goes back first and tries to play, if there's something that's serious that happens, uh, it'll have an impact on, on all of sports. Just really need a vaccine and really need widespread testing. You still don't have all of that. But, you know, I'll say this. Like, I agree with you that football would be the one that tries. I think keeping on what college football is doing, they're kind of mapping out a, a groundwork to play football in the spring. And not only will that, you know – have ramifications on next year's draft. But, you know, college football is having pretty open discussions about, hey, let's just start the season in February, uh, February, March, April, May, and do playoffs in June. And I think that's interesting. Um, I can't see the NFL not playing. I can see the NFL playing a shortened season. Um, but I'm, I'm with you on they're going to try it. I just – I just I think you, you have that many people in that much close quarters – in an environment where you're touching and sweating on each other, it's just a way to collect each other's droplets. And then, you know, and again, if it was a thing where you knew you were sick, there's just so many cases that no one has, no one knows they have it, you know? And it's just, God, I mean, surely the testing, you would, we have seen that athletes haven't had a problem getting testing. I mean, everyone in the NBA got tested while lots of people were dying, you know, like in other areas of the world. So, I mean, areas of the country. So it's like, oh, yeah, but but the Pacers, we've got them all tested, though. It's like, well, okay, well, how about the people who really have it? Like, but I don't know. This is – that's the end of my TED Talk. I don't have any more else to say on that because we don't know. We've never been through this before, you know? Well, we'll be here on on the show for sure. Well, we'll do podcasts. Yeah. We'll make it fun for for everybody. Despite there being no no uh, football games, potentially, we'll we'll come up with some some fun topics to discuss. Maybe do some throwback uh, conversations on some games yeah. and and stuff like that. So, and yeah. schedules out in two weeks. You know? Schedule will be so out. We'll have that. Yep. I'm wondering, yeah, if they do it with no fans, and then you know, how does that affect the media? You know, and. Are y'all still allowed to go be in the press box, if not in the locker room? And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks and months. But uh, like I said, we'll be here on About Them Cowboys every step of the way to cover it all. Yeah, we we sure will. And uh, please just keep checking out The Athletic. I know John's got a lot of stuff up from the weekend uh, on the draft. Uh, so make sure you get a good hold of that. Obviously, check out the Prospects to Pros podcast as well, um, because that's uh, Dane, and, Dane and Chris will have you covered for – all of the draft uh, news as well. Until next time, 
uh, for Kent Garrison, our esteemed producer, for Professor and Father John Mashoda. I'm Kevin K.T. Turner, and this has been another episode of About Them Cowboys. <laughs>